Brother Jim Newsom is a longtime friend of this congregation. I guess it was well over 20 years ago that I went down for uh, Gary Browning's banquet for his ministry at that time was called Discovery Family Ministries. Later on became Gary Browning Ministries. And Jim was the speaker that night. And uh, I, I, I had known who he was, but I'd never actually met him. And it was shortly after that <clears throat> that he began coming here and speaking at Abundant Life Church. And we became friends. And Jim comes at least once. In some years, he comes twice uh, to speak here at ALC. Are you going to give any of your testimony today? Okay. Well, Jim's got a phenomenal testimony. And I, I, whenever, whenever I introduce him, I'm also, I'm always reticent to share it because he likes to share it, but he, he definitely has a phenomenal testimony from his time in prison and, and, and going into prisons now. Uh, we just can't, he and I were just at a men's conference in, uh, Talladega, uh, Ronald Gray puts on, men reignited. And, uh, one night, one of the brothers from Hattiesburg, Mississippi stood up and, he said, uh, I was talking to this guy, this friend of mine that I grew up with, and he said, uh, Austin, guess what? I got saved. He said, you got saved? Yeah, I got saved. And he was in prison. And uh, he said, well, what happened? He said, you ever heard of a guy named Jim Newsom? <laughs> and Jim was sitting there, you know, when Austin was telling this. And, of course, through the ministry and of, of course, this could be, that story could be told thousands upon thousands of times over and over again. But on top of all of that, Jim's one of the finest Bible teachers that I've ever sat under. And he has a word for us today, and I pray that you open your mind and your heart, and later on your pocketbook, uh, we'll do <laughs> mind and heart, and hear what God says through the servant Jim Newsom. Let's welcome the man of God. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> Yeah, and that story, uh, he met this guy in prison in Mississippi, and uh, his friend was also in prison in Florida where he said, I led him to the Lord. So I don't remember it, but I'm glad that he said it. <clears throat> I don't know if a lot of you noticed when I came in, I was, I'm on oxygen. Mainly that's so I can get enough oxygen so I can preach really, really long. And, uh, so that's, that's what I have it. You know, my, my best friend, Jim Britnell, who was in prison with me, he, he tells everybody that when I preach, I don't, we don't need a clock. We actually need a calendar. So, so <laughs> that's not going to happen. Uh, I will tell you about my oxygen though. Um, In April, you know, I travel minister all over the place. I've been uh, all throughout the United States, uh, the Bahamas, over in Europe and in London. And uh, always, you know, for years, for 20 years, I ran 40 miles a week, 10 miles, four days a week. And then when I went up to Pennsylvania, they had hills and running wasn't really that easy to do anymore, so I started playing basketball uh, three days a week for two hours, and <clears throat> never had a problem with uh, my breathing or 
my oxygen. And then, and I was traveling in January and February and March. And, uh, and then in April, <clears throat> I went to go meet with the guy that oversees my website. And I had to walk up one uh, flight of stairs. And um, I, by the time I got up there, I was so winded, I almost passed out. And since that time, it's been the same. And going through doctors and testings, what they've come up with is I've been diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis, uh, <clears throat> which is a disease, and it's progressive. Uh, they started me on some medicine to s- slow down their progression. And uh, <clears throat> so I have to. I may have to get on the oxygen while I'm speaking here, and if I do, I ask you to forgive me for doing that, but uh, I decided that I wasn't going to allow this thing to define me. You know, a lot of you know the testimony that I had in 2006. I was diagnosed with hepatitis C. Uh, By the time my testing showed that my viral count was 12,800,000, and subsequent testing showed that I was already at the uh, final stage of cirrhosis of the liver, uh, the fourth stage, and uh, <clears throat> went through our treatment. It didn't work. And uh, so I just decided that I was just going to keep ministering. I, you know, I, I said then, and I'm going to say this now, I have no control over whether I live or I die. That's in God's hand. But I do have control over how I'm going to live until I die. And so from this day forward, I'm going to do everything I can. So I said that back in 2006, went and did a mentor cheat over in St. Louis with Michael Peters. His son, Caleb, prayed for me. Uh, if you remember the testimony, he didn't even come until on Sunday. I was yellow. My stomach was extended. My eyes were yellow. I looked really bad. And um, <clears throat> so I preached. And the moment he came into church, he was just weeping. And he was down on the front row, and he's just crying his eyes out. And I'm upset because everybody's not looking at me. They're looking at this young man who is crying. So I'm upset at him. I'm thinking, I'm thinking thoughts like, hey, man, I don't know what's going on with you. Why don't you just man up, you know, and quit being a girl. Yeah, sorry. And, but that's what I was thinking. And, uh, so, but he, he cried the whole way through my sermon, and uh, which really made it hard for me. And then at the end, you know, I gave an altar call, and people came, and I prayed for them. And then his father, Michael, came up to me and said, listen, ever since uh, Caleb has seen you, he can't stop crying. He has such a burden for you. Now I'm feeling bad because of what I thought about him, you know, I'm like, oh, Lord, I repent. And he said, uh, can, he wants to pray for you. Can he pray for you, Jim? And I said, and, and Michael said, I can't remember the last time he wanted to pray for somebody. I said, well, sure. He can pray for me. And uh, so he came up <clears throat> and he said, Jim, the only prayer I know is the Lord's prayer. Do you think I can pray that over you? Now, how many know my faith went down a little bit <laughs> when he said, the only prayer I know? <laughs> And so I said, sure. 
And then he leans forward a little bit and whispers in his ear because he doesn't want his dad, who's the pastor of the church, to hear this. And he says, and Jim, I'm not sure I remember it all. Do you think you could pray it with me? And now, basically, I'm praying for myself, you know. And so we pray this prayer. And uh, when I got to the line that says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I knew this, you know, in the back of my mind. But God made it real for me in that moment of revelation. There's no sickness in heaven. And if thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then there shouldn't be any sickness on earth. So I pray, he prayed, prayed that and something happened. Up until this moment, this, this storm in my life of what was going to happen with my wife and my kids after I died was just raging. And, uh, that storm was stilled. And all of a sudden, in a moment, I realized the peace was so powerful, you know, that I, I was thinking, no matter what happens, everything's going to be all right. So my wife and I are driving home one Sunday afternoon, and she says to me, she says, Jim, do you think God healed you? And I said, honey, I don't know. I said, I do know this. Everything's going to be all right. Just is. Woke up the next morning on Monday morning and my color was back. I wasn't yellow anymore. My eyes weren't yellow. Then the next day I went in for a biopsy, another biopsy. The first one showed fourth stage of cirrhosis of the liver. After a couple of days I got my results back and there was, I was at stage zero. Nothing wrong with my liver. That was 17 years ago. My doctor told me I had one year to live. Hey. So God always has the final report. So, And so now I have this lung problem. But I'm encouraged. Because God already healed my liver. And it's not too far from my lung. And they both begin with L. You know, it, you know lung, liver, you know. You know, if God's a little mixed up, he might say, oh, all right. I'm <laughs> sorry, I shouldn't have said that. But anyway, so I just wanted to let you know what's going on with me and uh, solicit your prayers. The prognosis, what the doctor says doesn't sound good, but God always has the last word. And in any event, I'm going to be healed one way or the other. <laughs> So, and I do have that peace again, that everything's going to be all right. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts, the 20th chapter. <clears throat> now, out in the lobby, I have a table, <clears throat> which is what they call a product table. I got books on it, a book that I wrote called Treasures Hidden in Darkness. And there's some um, newsletters. I write a monthly teaching article every month. And if you want to sign, there's copies of those out there if you want to sign up for them. In fact, what I'm going to teach on this morning, I wrote on for this month. So that'll be out there if you want. You don't have to take notes. You just go out and need to get a copy of that. And I'll have all the notes in there for you. And uh, everything on the table is free. 
I don't charge anything. All the books are free. So if you want a book, there's, and my wife wrote a children's book that's also out there that is very popular. And so you can have that. So they're free. Now, my board, which Larry is one of my board members, makes me say this part, that though the books and everything is free, donations are appreciated. Now, both of those statements are true. Free books, appreciated donations. But my heart is, don't let the lack of a donation keep you from getting a book that I think will bless you and change your life. Amen? Okay. It's apropos that, was it Diane who gave the testimony? Is that your name? That's my wife's name. All right. My name's not Spencer, though, so. Uh, So that was a great testimony, and that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. You know, I, I... I came to this message actually years ago while I was here. And I was telling Larry, I think God's teaching me about the power of testimony, you know, and so it, it, it started here and then it just grew into something that I think, uh, has blessed people all over the country and I believe it'll bless you as well. And so I want to talk to you about testimony. I actually want to talk to you about personal testimony. Uh, in fact, I want to talk to you about the power of personal testimony. In fact, I mean, one last thing. I want to talk to you about the prophetic power of personal testimony. Testimony That all testimony is prophetic in nature. And I want to kind of share that with you this morning. Now, in Acts 20 and verse 24... Paul says this, he says, however, because he just talked about the Holy Spirit saying that everywhere he goes, he was going to be in bonds that was waiting on him. And so right after that, he says this, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I might finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. What he's saying there that he considers the task of testifying more valuable than his own life. He says, my life is compared to nothing. In another way of saying it, when he is testifying about the gospel of God's grace, It is in that moment that he feels fully alive. And and you probably know this. Anytime that you share Jesus, in that moment, you start feeling not only are you given life, you're experiencing life like you never have in the past. I could see it on Diane's face when she was sharing. And in the moment where she was talking about this woman, you know, one moment she's this way and another moment she's that way. And she couldn't stop from telling that. Amen. So testimony is very, very important. Uh, In John 4, verse 39, we have the story about 
Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. Uh, she was, if you know the story, uh, Jesus said, go call your husband. And uh, she says, I don't have one. And she said, that's true. You've had five. And the one you're living with now is not your husband. And so, uh, but he, he has a word of knowledge for her. He encourages her. And uh, this encounter is so great because uh, he responds to her differently than everybody else would have responded to her. Uh, he he uh, found a, a soul that was drifting and he gave it direction. When he looked at her, he didn't see promiscuity. He saw promise. When he looked at her, he didn't see trash. He saw treasure. And he, he spoke to her and, 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 uh, ministered in her life in such a way. He, uh, my, my thought is, I'm losing my thought. I'm sorry. And, uh, but anyway. One of the things I've learned about the Lord, and I'm, I think a lot of us can relate to this, is God always brings his message to the worthless. And then he always uses the worthless to bring the message to somebody else. And that's what he's done in this situation. And this woman went back to her city, saw the men at the gate, and she said, Come meet a man that I met. How many of you realize none of them were surprised that she had met a man? None. I don't want to be. I just want you. Nobody was surprised. That's what she was known for. But she starts sharing this man is totally different. And here's what it says in 39. He said, and from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him. Because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all things that I have done. This woman, this promiscuous woman who met Jesus, now becomes the catalyst for a city-wide revival. We don't even know her name. And all she did was testify about her encounter with Jesus. You know, one of the things I realize is the most powerful thing all of us have as Christians are our testimonies. Not just about how we got saved, though that is the most powerful testimony, but anything that the Lord has done in us and for us and through us is a testimony of of what God wants to do. And, uh, you know, if God has helped you in your marriage and you were at odds with one another and somehow God healed that marriage, I promise you there are other couples that need to hear that story that will change their lives. It's the most powerful thing that we have. Over in John 12, verses 9 and 11, I just want to read the scripture. It says, a great multitude, therefore, of the Jews learned that he was there, talking about Jesus and they came not only for Jesus' sake only, but they also might also see Lazarus, 
whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests took counsel that they might put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. Now, Lazarus has become as great a threat to the religious world at that time as Jesus was. Mainly because everywhere he went, he told his testimony. And I'm sure he didn't have to say all of it. He would say something like this. Hey, guys, last week I was in the grave. And every time he told that, another Jew would go away believing in Jesus. All because he told his testimony. Everywhere I travel, people ask me to give the testimony of how I got saved. Now, I'm going to share a little bit of that at the end. How I got saved. And when I tell my story... And I've told it in a lot of settings, small settings, really large settings. But one of the things I always sense is that when I tell my story, I sense faith begin rising in the hearts of the people who are hearing it. And when faith rises, power is released. Say that with me. When faith rises, power is released. And so I sense that there are people there that are have the faith now to get saved. And there are people there who have prodigals or lost uh, uh, ones in their family who then have faith to stand in proxy for them, for them to get saved. Because that's what testimonies do. When you testify about what God has done uh, for us in us and through us, it causes test, uh, faith to rise. Same thing happens when I share the testimony of what I just did about being healed. I could sense when I was telling you there was faith out there believing, man, if God can do that for Jim, he can do it for me. Because when faith arises, power is released. Now, this is not a <clears throat> name it or claim it or confess it and possess it, or blab it and grab it kind of gimmick. It's an understanding of the power and provision that is contained within all testimony. Your testimonies about what God's grace has done uh, for you and in you and through you has power to do in other people to do the same in other people and uh, Jack Hayford pastor of a church in California said in one of his radio programs and I'll never forget it he says this the anointing on a story of something God has done is equal to the anointing on the preaching of something God has said Jack understands that all theology should produce testimony of what that theology has done for us. That all scripture should produce a story 
about what that scripture has done for us, where we have walked it out. When I first got in the ministry, I sensed the Lord tell me that he never wanted me to tell other people's stories to illustrate or to prove my point. You know, and so, uh, because how many of you know, if I don't have a personal story or illustration of my point, how many of you really know I don't really have a point? I mean, if I can't show you where it's worked for me and show you the process that it happens, then if I tell you somebody else's story, but if I tell you, hey, I know God can heal because he healed me. There's a lot more power to that. So, testimony is the truth of God's word clothed in a human experience. That's all testimony is. It's where you take the word of God, you seek to walk it out, and somewhere along the line, that word is clothed in the experience of you finding victory where that scripture uh, spoke to you or uh, helped you. <clears throat> Another way of saying is the theology that we know should produce a testimony that we show. Or another way, now I like saying little things like this. People call them newsomisms. Uh, the scriptures we memorize should produce stories that mesmerize. They really should. Testifying is simply sharing with others the stories of what God has done for us, in us, and through us. Not all Christians are gifted to preach or to teach or to sing. I am not gifted to sing. The only reason I can sing is because of that scripture where it says to make a joyful noise. And so, as long as my noise is spurred by my joy, how many of you ever had kids? And when they're really happy, how many of you know they make a lot of noise? That's what God is thinking about. It's a joyful noise. They're just so happy, they're, make, they're getting noisy. <clears throat> or play an instrument, but all Christians can testify, and all Christians should testify. Give testimony. Our stories contain power to do in the hearer what has been done in the teller. And how you release that power is by telling people. Just by having lunch with them or anytime. People need to hear our stories. <clears throat> this now I want you to turn to Revelation 19 and verse 10. <clears throat> so I've talked about the power of personal testimony. Now I want to bring into it this aspect of it being prophetic. And we find this from Revelations 19 and 10 where <clears throat> the guy... John says, and I fell at his feet to worship him. 
Now, I don't know if this was an angel or a saint going on before. It really doesn't state. But he sees something. He's so amazed about something that he now falls and begins to worship this person who is showing him something. And he, this person, says to John, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Now, the Greek word there for hold means to focus on something for the purpose of keeping it from obscurity. When you're talking about holding the testimony, you're holding it in such a way as you want to display it. Now, the best illustration I can come up with to really show this is in hockey. I'm not a hockey fan, but I always like to watch the Stanley Cup, the finals. And one of the things I love the most about it is whoever wins the final, they get the Stanley Cup. And so they give it to the captain of the team. And he holds it up for everybody to see, and everybody's going crazy. And he skates one length around the rink. Then he gives it over to the next player. And he holds it up for everybody to see. And they keep doing that until every player has displayed the testimony of their win. And that's what this, he's saying, who hold the testimony of Jesus. I can't tell you how many people, you know, somewhere along the line, they'll say to me, well, this happened to me. I said, why didn't you tell me that before? Well, I just didn't think it was that important. I said, yes, it is. We need to not, we need to hold things up. Then it goes on to say, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, I know in one sense it's mainly talking about the theology of Jesus dying on the cross. That's the testimony. But it's also testimony of anything that God has done for any of us. It's prophetic in nature. A testimony prophesies to other people what is possible Again, it it declares another miracle is available because God is no respecter of persons. Whatever he's done for one, he'll do for another. That's what Acts 10 verse 34 says. He's no respecter of persons. And so, a testimony prophesies destination, not path. Meaning, how I got to the healing of my uh, cirrhosis of the liver will be different than somebody else's. The process God had for me, which was a long process. First thing I did is I memorized every scripture in the Bible that had anything to do with healing my body. And then when that wasn't sensing that was really working, I started watching Benny Hinn, which I would have never watched Benny Hinn. But how many know when you're desperate, it doesn't matter. 
And I'm watching it, waiting for him to say, and there's somebody out there in the TV audience that has cirrhosis of the liver. Just put your hand on the TV and I'm going to heal you. And I, I was willing to do it. Now, I never said that, even though I watched him lots of times. Kept thinking he's going to say it this time. But he didn't. And so then I, God gave me a word, two words. One of the things I want to tell you, if you're needing something from the Lord, get into the word. And don't get into it until a, a logos becomes a rhema, where God speaks personally to you. And God did that. I read with two scriptures for my healing. The first one is Psalm 68, verse 20, where it says, Our God is to us a God of deliverances. And in him are all the escapes from death. Man, I can't tell you. I said, all right, Lord. Because he has all the escapes. I only need one. I said, Lord, I only need one of those escapes. So it gave me faith to believe that God was going to give me an escape. And then the second one is over. I was looking in the Bible if anybody else had a a death sentence. And I read over in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, where Paul said that he had the sentence of death in himself. And that he was going to trust in God because God can raise the dead. But the thing that got quickened to me in that whole scripture is in verse 8 where he says, God bestows his favor upon us through the prayers of many. Not knowing what constituted many for God. I don't know what that was. Maybe a hundred, maybe two hundred. So I, I didn't know what many was. I got everybody I could to pray for me. I mean, if you went to my church and knew life, I mean, Pastor Tim even had to ask me to stop bothering people by praying for me. Because every week I'd go up to him and say, you've been praying for me? You need to pray. I mean, there were brothers and, and they were well-meaning. They'd see me and they knew what I was going to do. So they'd walk another way. Because I had this rhema word that if I can get somewhere in the process, get to that place of many, God's favor was going to be bestowed upon me. And that many came when Caleb prayed for me. You know, one of the things I learned from that whole thing, there's a script, there's a scripture in John that talks about when Jesus fed, uh, the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. In John, it makes a statement. The disciples come back. They're seeing the overwhelming need. And so he tells them, you feed them. And they said, we only have five loaves and two fish. And then they make this statement. How far can this go among so many? And I began to realize, you know, all, Caleb, all he had was a sack lunch, a prayer. The Lord's Prayer couldn't remember it all. And one of the things I realized is because what we have, we don't think will go far. We don't let it go at all. How can what God has done to me, this little 
prayer or this little testimony, how can it really affect a lot of people? You don't know what God can do with a little. A little in the hands of a big God can go for go a long, long way. <clears throat> so a testimony prophesies what's possible again. And I'm going to close with this. And then just share a little of my testimony. In fact, testimony establishes, I really want you to hear this. It establishes legal precedent in the spiritual realm, enabling you to contend in prayer for the miracle that you just heard for yourself. Now, I'm not a lawyer, though I did stay in a Holiday Express last night. I did. And... uh, But what lawyers do is they search case law, looking for a judge who made a ruling which now becomes a precedent. And so they can use that ruling, if it's similar to their own client, whatever the judge gave for that person for relief, he's now obligated, because of the precedent, to give the same relief to you. So I want to tell you, when I need something, I I find, you know, my children uh, went off to college and started <clears throat> started getting involved in the world. So I found three different people whose children did the same thing, and they all came back to the Lord. And I used it, their three testimonies, as a precedent. I said, Lord, you granted them relief. You need to grant me some relief. Now, don't take my word for it. Let me tell you what Charles Spurgeon said. Anybody know who Charles Spurgeon is? He says on July 17, 1859, in the message entitled, The Story of God's Mighty Acts, he says this, When people hear about what God used to do, one of the things they say is, oh, that was a very long while ago. Then he says, I thought it was God that did it. Has God changed? Is he not immutable? God, the same yesterday, today, and forever, does not... Does not that furnish an argument to prove that what God has done for one person at one time, he can do for another person at another time? Then he says these words, nay. They spoke like that back then. He said, nay, I think I may push it a little further and say what he has done once is a prophecy of what he intends to do again. Whatever God has done is to be looked upon as a precedent. As a precedent. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. When I hear a testimony about somebody, no matter what is concerned, whether they were depressed and now they're joyful, what they, that testimony does is lets me know what my inheritance is comprised of. Because I'm joint heirs. If God did it for you, and I'm a joint heir, that means he's going to do it for me. What you get, I get. Does that make sense? And that's what a precedent does. 
Let me close. You know, when I preach, I don't really, my oxygen, I have this thing that lets me know if my oxygen drops, but when I preach, it doesn't drop. So what I need to do is just preach 24 hours a day, which my wife thinks I do anyway. So she says, stop preaching at me. And I said, honey, I was just talking to you. And she said, no, you're preaching. So <clears throat> let me close just with, uh, I'm grateful, number one, that I could be, I feel like I'm part of this family. It's been almost 25 years since I met your pastor, and we've become great friends. And uh, so much so, I wanted him on my board, you know, to oversee the ministry. And But I feel like I can show my vulnerability here, my weaknesses, even some of my doubts, you know, knowing that you understand and that you will pray for me. And... Uh, since I walked through that door, I've felt nothing but God's love for me through all of you. Through the look that you gave me or through coming and laying your hands on me and praying for me without me asking you to. And somebody while we were worshiping came over and just was praying for me and the peace of God came all over me. Don't know who it was. I was afraid to turn around and look to see it might interrupt the flow. So I didn't. But let me tell you this. In fact, let's just stand together. I don't want to be done, but I just felt like the Holy Spirit says, Son, you're done. (laughs) Which is something my wife says to me as well. Jim, you're done. And uh, and I've learned to obey her, so I'm going to obey the Spirit as well. Two things. Number one, keep me in prayer. I um, I don't feel like I'm, I'm finished. I don't feel like I'm done. I feel like, if anything, in, in some ways, I'm just starting. Now, some of this has put a... Uh, urgency in me to write more. So I'm in the process of writing two more books. Someone prophesied to me years ago, which I didn't believe. They said, Jim, you're not just going to write a book. You're going to have a whole shelf of books. <laughs> I thought they were crazy. But uh, uh, now the second thing is, I want to tell you, I want to encourage you. Whenever you can, tell your story. Anybody ever seen the movie Dancing with Wolves with Kevin Costner? And when he shot that buffalo and saved that kid that was charging at, and that night they're in a different tents eating the buffalo, he had to keep going to every tent to tell the story. They kept saying, Tente, Tente, you know, tell the story what happened. And and he just told the story over and over again. Our stories have power. They really do. Every story that we have. And we don't need to, we need to display them. 
We need to hold them up in such a way as people hear them and can see them. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would help us. Lord, I pray through the the testimony of how you healed me will cause faith to enter in people here, Lord, that need healing. Lord, I'm in need of another healing. And I am trust that you're going to do it. I can feel it when I'm ministering for you. But Lord, I pray that everyone that is here today will have an urgency to begin to think through about what God has done for them, in them, and through them. And begin to ask you, Lord. They'll begin to ask you to lead you, lead them to places where they can share their stories. I ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen.